Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen LePianca. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. So what's new with you bitches? Well, I sort of unintentionally started designing a tarot deck. amazing oh my god (laughs) yeah so like so every day i pull a card and at the beginning of september i like i don't even know why i decided to do this because i very rarely just like decide to sit down and make visual art anymore but i was like i think i'm going to draw this and so i just like kind of started messing around and procreate on my ipad and kind of made a collage that i liked and so the next day i was like hmm I'm going to do the same thing. So I drew my card and then I created an art for it and I've done it every day since. So so cool. Oh my God. It's been pretty exciting. It's very like, um, they're, I mean, they're all very different, I guess, but I'm sort of trying to do like some nods to the symbolism of the traditional cards while also having it be totally not traditional. So it's, um, there's no men depicted anywhere in this deck. Yes, Which love is it. Exciting. <laughs> and I approve. It's, it's very like layered, and there's a lot of transparent colors and murky, washy-looking things, and it's fun. So, oh my god, I'm, I want to buy it right now. Can I like order it. it here on the podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, I I also need to write a book, so this has been a great um, distraction from not writing I, my book. Why are we so productive but, when we're do- supposed to be doing something else? I don't why know. are we like that? It's horrible, but yeah, this has been this has been good. So now I'm like almost halfway through at this point, and I'm wow. like, my finish. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, How there really you, is nothing more productive like than when you're supposed to be writing something and you don't want to. You will like create all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's like we're so good at coming up with new ideas when we already have an idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Infuriating. Yeah, well, I've been working on the first draft of something and I have been in like crazy first draft, uh, not, I mean, not necessarily procrastination, like I'm trying to, but it's more of like, I'm drafting, but I'm like, is this the right book to write? Should I be writing this? Is this a stupid book? Is this a bad book? Is this, this plot doesn't seem very well developed. It's like, you're in first draft. Of course it isn't, but maybe that tells me something that I shouldn't be writing it. Like, so I don't know why I'm just like really struggling to feel like I am doing the right thing right now. Well, yeah, I feel like I'm going to tell you something right now that may not help you, but (laughs) I was having a similar experience, you know, with the book that I was working on earlier this year where I just kept like, there seemed to be something foundationally wrong with it. And I kept like changing things to try and fix it. And then it would break something else. And I just was questioning all the time whether it was the right project for me. And then um, long story, but I I turned down a book deal for it for my my publisher because I just I, there are many factors in that but then I so now I'm out of contract I started writing this other book that had been like what I really wanted to write in the first place but I was worried it wasn't marketable and I just I don't know so I'd questioned that just not my own motivations but like whether people would want to read it but I started working on that one and I am like on fire like I can't stop writing Ooh. this book I've written like hmm. 23,000 words in the last week and a half like it is oh my gosh intense. that's awesome yeah. So I think sometimes I feel like this is, I don't want to like get <laughs> you off of this, Wendy, but I do think sometimes it is, there's something like your subconscious is trying to tell you that there's something off about the project you're working on. And it may be something that you can fix in that project, or it can be 
that you should be working on something else. I'm sorry. See, this is the hard thing because I also really struggled with the Kill Club. Like that book yeah. almost killed me. I mean, if I hadn't been on contract for it, I probably would have given up because it was such a hard book to plot. And I just felt like I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And then it ultimately ended up being like the most meaningful book I'd ever written, you know? So I yeah. don't know what it is. And it's I think hard to the- say. So yeah. I felt like, okay, if Mook, we're just going to push forward and we're going to try to make it the best we can and we'll see what happens, I guess. You know, it's like sometimes your subconscious is trying to protect you and sometimes it's trying to fuck with you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I yeah. just struggle and with confidence. I don't know. I really struggle with con- with knowing if I'm doing the right thing. Like it's just an issue for me. So I'm like, is that what this is or is there actually something wrong? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually kind of struggling with the same thing with this, what I'm working on now. Like it's, um, it's due to my publisher, like months ago, honestly. <laughs> and, but it's like, this is, I've had such a hard time writing during all of this quarantine especially because like this book is not part of my series it's a little more serious it's like it's not that it's like not engaging but it's like not a great story to be working on when you're already having a hard time yeah so it's just kind of like ugh. and then um i did recently come up with a new inciting incident that's going to require a lot of reworking but I think it's going to fix a lot of the problems that I was having with it it's just like frustrating that it took this long for me to figure that out yeah yeah well and like I I feel like like you said this book I'm writing right now it's dark like it's physically dark it takes place in like a dark and small town in Oregon so it's like really rainy and heavy Mm -hmm. and I wanted to write something kind of like broad churchy kind of like the killing kind of in that space of like rainy dark psychological mystery kind of thing but now I'm in this quarantine and I'm like maybe that's why I don't want to write it because it's so dark and like claustrophobic that I'm like Jesus I just want out you know yeah that was the book that I abandoned the same thing it was like a gothic book and it was about a character with chronic pain and I was like fuck this I want to be happy (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's like the version of myself that pitched this book last fall was like I was I was not expecting 2020 to be like how it has been. Who was? I, I mean, <laughs> really? It was like I would never have pitched something of this nature. I, I had yeah. never want to be writing something that's like fun and sexy and fast and you know all of those things. And this book is like dark and slow and quiet and yes. creepy, and it's just like ugh. well. That was depressing. Funny, yay! <laughs> so our topic this week uh, is the vengeful bitch, which is very appropriate because at the time that this will air, my new book "They Never Learn" will have just come out. It comes out on Tuesday, October thirteenth, and it is about an extremely vengeful, bitchy female serial killer who punishes terrible men. So we thought this would be a great topic just to talk about vengeance. You know, that's that's like a happy thing to think about right now as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> There's so many people who, who need some vengeance. What do you guys think? Oh, for sure. I think that when your book comes out, by, which it will have just come out when this airs, people are going to be so thirsty for books like yours. It's such a timely book. We all want I, it. I hope so. I hope so. Um, the early buzz has been really good like from the reader reviews and stuff on goodreads because you know i'm trash and i read all my goodreads mm-hmm. reviews <laughs> but uh most there have been a lot of people who are like mostly women who are like i just really relate to this character like i know it's kind of wrong but i was like really rooting for her to kill all these men and i'm like yep. yes good, <laughs> excellent 
Excellent. My favorite review that I've gotten so far, though, was a uh, like n- pretty negative one where the person said they had trouble suspending their disbelief because it was like suddenly everyone was a bisexual serial killer and there were no decent men. And I was like, yes, that's the book. Well, that's yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> that is what I set out to write. And that is what I wrote. So, you know, if that sounds like your kind of thing. But I came up with the uh, idea for this book during the Kavanaugh hearings uh, because I was just filled with rage and I was looking at his stupid angry face talking about how he loves beer and he like (laughs) never raped anyone I don't know and just thinking like men like this if someone just murdered all of them would the world really be any worse off like I think it would be better so that was where Scarlet came from and and the book he couldn't have done it because it wasn't in his calendar don't you remember (laughs) It wasn't in his calendar. Every I time like I assault people, I calendar it first just to make sure. Right. I just, I pencil in do rapes and yes. then it's like, of course. And the, the fact that he was able to get away with such just bizarre, idiotic explanations and there was no consequences really for him. It just makes me sick to even think about it. Does anyone know a single man who's good at keeping a calendar up to date? <laughs> First of all, just asking. No, but I try to limit my contact with men as much as possible. But I think so. There have been a lot of revenge thrillers coming out, like in books, movies, everywhere. I feel like this is kind of a thing right now. And my theory on this, which I don't think is particularly controversial, it's it's just we're seeing so much injustice in the world in all of these different ways that's like so blatant and just unpunished. Like the legal system, nothing is punishing these people, bringing them to justice, nothing at all. So we start to fantasize about taking it into our own hands and giving them what they deserve, right? Like that's what these books are. We're kind of just like acting out these fantasies. I mean, I think that Yes. Like I think women are writing about things like that and women want to read things like that. And it's infuriating that, um, that why we need that. Yes, it is infuriating. And I also don't see it changing anytime soon. So I think we will be kept in revenge thrillers for some time, which is good. Yeah. I I would really like to see every single female thriller writer write a revenge thriller i want to see like everyone's take on this i'm not tired of it i'm the audience for this (laughs) when i uh i i know i talk i talk about this almost in every episode but this is another one of the reasons that girl with the dragon tattoo makes me kind of mad which (laughs) that it's like sometimes you'll get these women fronted revenge thrillers written by men and it's like they've misunderstood why women need to write these books and They've decided that it's just really cool to think of like a chick with a gun. Yeah. It's like really cool to think of a chick like sticking that thing up that guy's butt. Like, yeah, get him. <laughs> like, yes. like, misunderstood, like terribly misunderstood what this is actually, where this is coming from for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And like there, to, to the author, I'm sure, just like many aspects of Salander's character, it's like, her doing this revenge is sexy or appealing yeah. in some sexual way to the the author, I guess. Like, I don't know. It's very, like, it totally misses the point. There's no, like, depth to what happens there. It's very much just, like, she's an emotionless assassin type exacting revenge, sticking things up that guy's butt, and it's cool. 
So here's my question for you. And I, I have always, I think I write books that are really friendly to male and female readers and non-binary readers. Like, I just feel like I don't think I'm writing only to women. So I just want to clarify that I'm not hostile toward men reading, but I was really interested that the Kill Club got a lot of, I got reached out to almost exclusively by male readers Hmm. to tell me how much they really loved the main character. Who's like a, a girl, you know, woman character on a revenge, right? Like, and they just loved it and they like felt like they really connected with her and stuff like that. And I heard from male readers so much more than female readers. I thought that was kind of weird and interesting. That's interesting. I definitely write more to women and I'm surprised when men like my books, but I do. There's certainly a subset of the male population that is like turned on by like a mean and violent woman. And I too am turned on by mean and violent women. So I have that in common with them. That's like (laughs) something I can understand. (laughs) But I think there's like certain men who find like Scarlet and they never learn. I mean, I based her on Christina Hendricks Mm -hmm. physically, like she's hot, right? Like, so they like the idea of this. And, you know, if you're not a dirtbag, you don't have anything to fear from her. So it's true. (laughs) I wanted to mention also about um, the girl with the dragon tattoo that, like, I think it's interesting how we keep talking about her. Like in it, like we, every time we have these archetype episodes where we're discussing one of these archetypes, like. Elizabeth Salander fits in a lot of them, yeah. which is so interesting because, like, we don't like her, but she is somehow books, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> she is somehow like something about the way that that she's written. Like, I don't know, it's similar to Betty Draper, I guess. How like there's multiple different mm-hmm. archetypes that she just like seamlessly fits into. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why, given that we don't like her. It's like it's weird, but oddly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I was like, here I go again, talking about Lisbeth Salander. <laughs> Lisbeth Salander and Jenny Schechter. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. <Nope. laughs> can't leave them alone. I, I have a lot more loathing toward Jenny Schechter, though. I know. I, I know. know <laughs> so here's something that's come up a lot um, from mostly men who've, who've read They Never Learn. I'm curious what you guys think about this. So I am very clear, like when I'm talking about the book and the promotional materials and everything that Scarlett is a serial killer, like she is a sociopath, she likes killing men, she gets pleasure from it. Um, It kind of like chills out her anxiety problems. It's really like, you know, solving a lot of problems in her life. And she's punishing men who are rapists and abusers, because it like brings her joy to kill them. But she's not like, trying to right all the wrongs in the world or like she knows it's wrong to kill people but she kind of doesn't care so what I've seen from this is from multiple men this is in like trade reviews and like just other men who've read the book and like offered me critiques that I didn't want (laughs) they want to call her a vigilante and they want to see they're like upset that the book does not include her wrestling with the morality of what she's doing and like questioning whether it's Mm -hmm. wrong but she's like oh you know I know it's wrong but I have to do it because I have to rid the world of these men like she knows it's wrong she doesn't care she enjoys killing them she is not a vigilante at all and I think it's interesting that men keep wanting to like cast her in that role it's like it makes them more comfortable or something I I don't know what do you guys think about that I definitely think that like um there are so many examples of like vigilante women like i'm thinking specifically like the movie peppermint with jennifer garner like her family was killed and so she turns into a a drug dealer killing machine and she kills all the drug dealers in los angeles like there it's like safer to believe that like a woman doing these things is doing it for 
like some soft reason yeah than like pure sociopathy i guess <laughs> yeah cuz i got my um Kirkus review which was very clearly written by a man was like I don't know like if Fargo realizes she's written a sociopath and I'm like I fucking know like that is what I, I <laughs> what are you talking about me really angry because it was like I don't think the author realizes that you know she was trying to write a vigilante but she accidentally wrote a sociopath no and it's like no, on bro. the cover copy yeah <laughs> she's a serial killer <clears throat> yeah yeah I've always talked about her as a serial killer and I think it uh it makes some men and probably some women too, but it is mostly men that I've heard this from. It makes them very uncomfortable to think of a woman just like taking pleasure in, in killing people and like kind of doing it for her own purpose and not to like right the wrongs of, of the world. Yeah. I think they want it to be something softer. Like she, she was, I've actually had it suggested to me before because I will say, I guess this is like a slight spoiler, but she does not have really like sexual assault in her background. Like that's not her motivation. Unlike Lisbeth, it's not like she was mm -hmm. raped and now she kills rapists. Um, and that's something I've had suggested to me like, oh, well, wouldn't it be more compelling if she had been raped and that's why she does this? And I'm like, no, yeah, like that would be less compelling because that's always the reason that we have always in these the things. Reason. It's like she she was assaulted or something happened to her children. Like those are the two reasons that women can do this. This like our very first episode. Didn't we talk about the Maybe radioactive? Yeah, Brave Spider. Mm -hmm. Gives you superpower. Gives you the superpower of vigilante justice. Yeah. Assassin. Yeah. I think it goes back to the power of the penis. You know, it's so powerful <laughs> that it can turn you into a, a superhero. superhero. Yeah. Wow. It does so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting, though, just like in terms of these sorts of characters, like the vengeful female character, it's like, do people only find them sympathetic or compelling if they think they have a good reason for their revenge or can revenge be? Well, I, th I think it's like the idea that uh, a character needs to be sympathetic to be compelling, mm -hmm. yeah. which like isn't true at all like right yeah a character can certainly be interesting just for being interesting it doesn't have to be like relatable or dare i even say likable you know like that's <laughs> <laughs> such garbage but i think that like for a lot of people probably most more likely to be men like um i forgot what i was saying like there's an entire <laughs> extremely popular show called hannibal let's just think about that you know mm -hmm. And there's just an entire most mm -hmm. people because they're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, do 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 people ask if Hannibal Lecter is a sympathetic character? Right. No, that's exactly. Not the type of character that that is just like right. Like Dexter's, I think Dexter's a good comparison to Scarlet in that you know he is a sociopathic. He's a psychopath, I think, actually, and he yeah he knows it. His dad taught him to channel it, you know, and he tries to he's trying to channel it. Um, but you know, mm -hmm. he would be doing these murders, even if he weren't channeling it, you know, that he would be killing innocent people. Like that's the right. idea is that this is a psychopath or sociopath who's decided to channel their murderous impulses, uh, in a way that's, to be honest, like less, not, not going to, I guess that's a good question. Why are they channeling? Like Dexter's dad taught him to do that. And so he accepted that. Wonder why Scarlet mm -hmm. channels and doesn't just kill 
the girl who annoyed her. You know what I mean? Like, why does she, she really hate men? She's like, just really hates men a lot. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like enough. I don't know. <laughs> I was really angry when I wrote this book, you guys, and I still am. Um, yeah, I actually had not seen Dexter when I came up with this book and when I wrote it. And it was like after it was done that I was like, everyone keeps comparing it to Dexter. I guess I should fucking watch Dexter. So um, yeah, I've only seen the first couple seasons, but it is Same kind of here. a similar. Yeah, it's like a similar thing where it's channeling an urge that would be there anyway. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, no one, no one is going to say like Dexter is a vigilante. No, like, that's not that's, what that right. character is. No, no, and yeah, he's just channeling. I have that that same exact thing happened to me, Lane, where I wrote Hunting Annabelle. It came out. Everyone asked me if I had. It actually got comp to Dexter in the like re- release, like the blurb. Mm-hmm. And I had never even seen Dexter. So I was like, I guess I better go, you know, watch this <laughs> yeah. after I finish writing this book. So I did. Same exact thing. Yeah. I liked it. It was good. Yeah, it's really good. But again, he's not a vigilante. Dexter is no. not like, he doesn't care about, you know, ridding the earth of psychopaths. He just wants to kill somebody. So he picks those right. killers because that's better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, um, let's talk about some other examples like what other examples do you guys have of the vengeful bitch obviously kill bill sure vigilante though legit vigilante yes and it's like it's very personal Mm -hmm. personal vendetta yes i i almost think that like a personal vendetta is more interesting than a broad like vigilante ridding the the world of bad people like I don't really want to read about someone who's wrestling with the morality of should I kill these bad people? I know it's wrong and I feel terrible about it, but I must do it. Like that's, that's like some superhero movie Mm -hmm. logic. Like that's not interesting. Same here. I'm all about those personal, personal stakes. Yeah. Cause it's letting us imagine like if we had the balls to do that basically, cause you know, we've all thought about, revenge and people we'd like to get revenge on but i think most of us because we live in a civilized society or we did until recently um (laughs) we with you know we don't do that we put it into our books or we fantasize about it but we don't actually do it but this lets us live that out um yeah what what about gone girl that's a good example of a personal oh yeah very personal like that's like a that's like a micro vengeance (laughs) like (laughs) Uh-huh, a hundred percent. And it is like she just thinks through every little thing and she's gonna get him in like such a like her revenge is so personalized to Nick. Like she it's not just like she thinks about what would hurt him the most. Yes. Which is amazing. Good job. I love that part of that book. I loved when she was like laying the traps for him and then he found all that stuff that she had bought in his name in that shed. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh my god that was like his mistress's underwear in his office oh, yes. just, just we so love good. detail-oriented women like, good job <laughs> i want to see, that... see her notion dashboard for the oh marker. yeah <laughs> well that's the thing though like she couldn't actually i guess in the movie she has like the calendar i forget what it is in the book but like you can't actually keep records that was the hard thing with scarlet and they never learned i was like she would love to have like color-coded files and spreadsheets yeah. but like you can't have that because you would get caught so she says to keep it all in her mind <laughs> yeah um and there's a scene where somebody else who's like investigating her has made this like beautiful wall like connecting all of her crimes like one of those like 
serial killer walls and she's like admiring it like oh i wish i could have this in my house but i can't because i would get caught but it's like amazing since someone else did it i could just admire all my work all at once (laughs) yeah we love a type a vengeful bitch for sure (laughs) i mean i feel like it would be difficult to be like a type b vengeful bitch like it would be hard to be like messy and also successful at accomplishing all of your vendetta goals yeah, if it's like a, a carefully thought out plan and not just because there are is revenge that's just you're like mad at someone and kind of lash out in the moment. But like the really good revenge takes planning. And even better if you can get someone else to do it for you. Like another great example is Jade and Fowlis Fair um, by Hannah Capen, who we had on yeah. earlier this year. She like wants to get revenge. And instead of doing it herself, she gets some boys to do it for her, which mm-hmm. is like perfect. Yes. Make the men work for you. Um, when I was researching for this episode, I came across a uh, like article on women who had taken revenge. And I just wanted to share this with you. There was a woman whose husband cheated on her. So she took an ad out in the local paper that says, I would like to say congratulations. And then she put her the full name of the mistress, the full name of her husband. <laughs> says, we are expecting a baby. Hope you are both really in love. And I hope it works out. Always Patrick's wife. And then her name. <laughs> and add in the paper oh my god that's amazing that's incredible <laughs> I love that's you. like that's an interesting example of like a very hands-off type of vengeance like <laughs> she didn't she didn't hurt them physically or have a nasty confrontation although she might have also had a nasty confrontation but that's a very like this is humiliating and extremely memorable and it's like it's, it's brilliant as a passive aggressive Midwestern bitch, I just like that is amazing. Yes. <laughs> I really respect that. Yes. <laughs> well, I wanted to mention um, Mindy McGinnis's The Female of the Species, uh, where favorite, yes. I think that, I mean, sh- so she is like, she kills the man who murdered her sister. And that sort of like unlocks something in her. Mm-hmm. So even though like she is, she is killing these bad people who deserve it like i don't really get the sense that she struggles with it no she's definitely like a sociopath of some kind where she doesn't really like she kind of vaguely knows that other people might consider this wrong but doesn't feel wrong to her yeah god i love yeah i didn't feel any like um compunction on her part it was more of just like it was interesting it was like a struggle to know herself but it wasn't yeah. a struggle with the morality of it. It was more of just like, who am I? You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Another great one is um, the book Vengeful by V.E. Schwab. Have either oh, yeah. of you? Yeah. No, I haven't read this that. Is the sequel to Vicious, which is one of her most popular books. And I really liked Vicious a lot, but I didn't like love it. But Vengeful, I loved. I was super obsessed. Um, and part of it, it was because there's this new character who's introduced there named Marcella who is this is a world where people can like kind of get superpowers not via rape but just you know via other means <laughs> um <laughs> and she gets these superpowers that basically let her like burn people alive from the inside out i think it's something really gnarly like that and her husband who's a mob boss has like done her wrong so she kills him and a bunch of his uh guys and then like takes over the city basically and she is Ooh. just a bad bitch i fucking love marcella um have either of you read my sister the serial killer by oyinkin yeah. <laughs> i that one is i think really interesting because like the main character 
is not the murderer it is i mean obviously the title gives it away like her sister is the one who is getting this revenge but it's also like the protagonist is so wrapped up in all of it Uh, i think that's a really fascinating book i think it's interesting that we're bringing up a lot of characters who are like sociopaths and serial killers like just like normal ass people can be vengeful bitches right like you don't have to be (laughs) sociopathic you can just be really really mad that's true (laughs) (laughs) like yeah um, one of my favorite examples and one of my favorite movies of all time is the first wives club oh yeah yeah so my mom and i watch this movie every year on uh on or around depending on when we can get together her wedding anniversary with my father they've been divorced for many years but we celebrate their wedding anniversary by watching the first wives club and um Mm -hmm. that is like it's about these women who are getting revenge on their cheating husbands but then it kind of turns into something a little more selfless uh by the end but like at the beginning it's definitely like these men have done them wrong and they're gonna fuck with them Uh, but none of them are like sociopathic they're just like normal people like Goldie Hawn's character is kind of an asshole but other than that they're (laughs) just you know normal women but they've been pushed too far So I guess my question is, um, why we call this episode the vengeful bitch? And there mm-hmm. is like an element of like, for example, Gone Girl is like the perfect example of, you know, when you have a woman who's pursuing revenge without compunction, just like she wants revenge, that's what she wants. She is not, she has exited being a likable character at that point. Like, do you know what I mean? Like she is, yeah. unless unless it's something like she was raped and she wants to kill a rapist, like unless it's something really linear like that, or the person she's taking revenge on is like extremely deserving and she doesn't go too far. And we really understand her motivations. Like if, uh, except for the perfect storm of likability, uh, like, mm-hmm, cause she's kind of leaving right. behind all the, like what the patriarchy would want of her in order to get revenge. Like it's not nice or likable or ladylike to get revenge. Right. It's not it's not like polite and well-mannered and like attractive to exact revenge, especially on men who have wronged you because it, mm-hmm. they should be allowed to do whatever they want. Yeah. So it becomes a little bit like the woman who can't let it go or who won't let it go. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like she it's, won't let go yeah. of this vendetta. And that's really sad. Babe, get over it. Move on. <laughs> Some of the examples I can think of where, like First Wives Club, where the characters are, I would say, a little more likable. It's like it starts out as this revenge plot and then turns into something else. Like another mm-hmm. one I was thinking of was The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemison. Uh, I don't know if either of you have read that, mm-hmm. but it's a no. fantasy novel. It's the first one in a trilogy. And in the first book, the main character is like her family has been screwed over by the like royal family who she's sort of distantly related to and she goes to court to like get revenge for her mother's death but Mm -hmm. like gets involved in intrigue there and by the end of the book she's not really out to get revenge anymore like it it kind of shifts and changes um so i think she's a really likable character i mean she's like very complex and not nice and all of that stuff but i i mean i found her tremendously likable and you're rooting for her the whole way but it starts out as this like i'm gonna get revenge and then turns into something else and there's this idea that revenge is a step past justice it's like justice Mm -hmm. would be he cheats on you and then you end up getting your fair share in the divorce and you find someone great too you know like right 
revenge is like you take everything from him and you ruin this and you ruin that. You know, it's like it's more than justice. And I'm kind of fascinated with that. With that, that like, first of all, we know that for women, justice is just not available in many contexts, right? Right, not, for sure. Like, and so I'm wondering where all this interest in revenge comes from. Is it because for stuff like sexual assault, justice is usually just not available, and that turns it into rage like it takes something that would be anger and turns it into rage or something yeah and i mean with sexual assault specifically the like quote unquote justice that is ever like usually there's no justice at all and then if there is like if the rapist goes to jail the woman who's been assaulted has to like be put completely through the ringer in order to accomplish that like she has to be publicly humiliated essentially i mean that's usually what happens we were talking about brett kavanaugh and that's the perfect (laughs) fucking example yeah so it doesn't feel even if there's like a legal punishment it doesn't feel like justice because not only did the woman suffer this assault she had to go through all this other stuff too and jail doesn't seem like quite enough punishment i don't think well because it feels like no there's no justice you did this to me you yeah. don't there's no justice except if it hadn't been done once right. it's been done there's no way to undo it like yeah it's not like if it's not even like you did this to me so if someone went and raped you now we're even no i still was the one who had i still had to have this happen you know like there's no making that right yeah that's why i think this obsession with justice and true crime is kind of like i can't imagine that if someone close to you was murdered, sure, of course you want the perpetrator to go to jail or die or something, but you that doesn't fix it. Right. right. Like I was just watching the um the HBO documentary of I'll Be Gone in the Dark and mm-hmm. like they caught that guy and he's going to jail, but like there's no way to get justice for what he did. I mean, there's no. death, like the people's lives he ruined. It's it's you can't even calculate it. Like it's it's not possible to get justice in a case like that. Well, the idea of like of justice as in like fairness or balance is kind of ridiculous because it's like like if you know someone commits a murder and they get caught and go to jail or get executed or whatever like that doesn't balance anything so that's like like, eye for an eye thing yeah like even even the even like the in a perfect world if justice could be handed out to everyone who deserves it like that still doesn't balance things yeah. So it's really true. like even justice, which doesn't really exist, but even if it did exist, it would still be inadequate. Mm-hmm. So I think like this idea of vengeance is like, it is like a step beyond justice, but it's also like a more satisfying alternative to in some ways. For the person who's yeah. been wronged. Yeah. yeah. Like it's for them personally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I wonder it knowing that like we all know that it's it is interesting that we i don't know it's maybe it's because justice is so unavailable that it just makes you want to act out blindly with rage yeah. you know what i mean you yeah. want to just like read stories where people are just like game of thronesing it up like <laughs> I was going to say that's another good example. I had her on my list. Um, Danny from Game of Thrones, like her whole story is about revenge uh, for her family being killed. And then in the end, I guess spoilers, but it's been out forever now. Like she goes crazy and kills a bunch of innocent people. And then her boyfriend slash nephew, Jon Snow, kills her because she's too dangerous. So like her need for vengeance drives her mad. You can tell men fucking wrote this shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
We hate it so much. Yeah, because there's like an overlap with the archetype of like the psycho bitch here too and the woman who won't let it go. Like all these things are interrelated where it's like if you pursue vengeance uh, for in too extreme a way or for too long or, or whatever, it's like, oh, you've gone crazy. You're, you know, gone you off the deep end. Let, you need to let it go. Okay. You need to let it go. I feel like we could dive r- way deeper into that and go for a long time. But I yeah. shall not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of the reason I wrote Scarlet the way I did, and they never learn, is I wanted her to be. I mean, she has her moments of kind of like flipping out and losing control, but for the most part, she's a very poised, controlled, organized, yeah, self-possessed person. She's not this like crazy lady with a knife. You know, she's yeah. got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, she's a lady with a knife and a plan. And a plan, the most dangerous kind. Yeah. <laughs> She's extremely organized. She is not um she is not out of control in any way. She's and I I like that a lot about her. She's not unhinged. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't have the Danny syndrome where Danny just lost control and started killing all the people. Yeah. I love that about her. Me too. I'm always like, if I was going to be a serial killer, I would be like Scarlet. Like, I'm not to be clear, but <laughs> if <laughs> oh, which by the way, I'm excited. Uh, coming up here, I'm going to be interviewing Tori Eldridge. She wrote the um, the Ninja Daughter, and then now she has out the Ninja's Blade, and it's really going to be fun to interview her because she writes these very extremely likable female character, but also very revengey. Yeah, because her main character is more of like the vigilante, right? Uh-huh. And she has a moral code and she's like a good person, unlike most uh-huh. of the people that we've been talking about here. <laughs> so I think her perspective will be really interesting. And Tori yeah. is like an actual ninja, right? Like she's a badass. Yes. Yes, she is. I would not I would not win in an arm wrestling competition with Tori. No. <laughs> I saw her on a panel at BoucherCon last year back when we could still like go out in public and be with people. And, oh, yeah, I remember um, those days. Yeah, she was like talking about the best kind of like knives to kill people in various ways. And I was like, will you marry me? <laughs> <laughs> she has like a whole self-defense strand of her social media, which is pretty mm. rad. And it always looks like she dragged her husband out to the woods and was like, here, stand there. And then she just like does things to him to, <laughs> to take pictures of. <laughs> well, he knows what's good for him. He's not going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> when she was writing, she used to come up to him and be like, stand up and he'd be like uh she would be testing out all different chokeholds on him and stuff i've tested out sex scene blocking on nate before that's true really yes um like totally closed but we (laughs) i like tried a piece of blocking with him and this was not our current dog but our our previous dog who was like very protective of me and Uh she saw nate like grab me the way i told him to and she started barking at him (laughs) she was very worried (laughs) She's a good. She was a good dog. She was a vengeful oh. bitch too. I appreciate that I though, because that. as we've talked about many times, it's really awkward when people write sex scenes and it's like you've got a hand over here, but then how is the leg on the other side? Like you yeah, start you that hands, and you're like, wait, yeah. yeah. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, 
And we're also on Instagram at unlikable female characters. Thanks for listening.